Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. The Pope tells Davos, do more for the poor. The IMF inches up its forecast for global growth and mainland growth. And Mohammed El Arian resigns from the bond manager uh, PIMCO. So more on those stories in a minute. In markets, U.S. stocks rise. IBM beats on the bottom line, but revenues are light. And IBM executives forego their bonuses because of that sales miss. And how often do you hear that? So we'll get to uh, details on IBM in a minute. But first, a little breakfast tease for your morning. Well, I think, number one, we come to learn. Because if you think about the range of topics that are talked about, the range of information you can gather from all the different participants, uh, you come to learn. That is Brian Moynihan of Bank of America. Uh, Merrill Lynch, he's the CEO, on why he goes to Davos and why other CEOs go. And a little taster here from Olivier Blanchard, the chief economist at the IMF. The recovery is strengthening. Uh, we forecast world growth to increase from uh, 3.3% in 2013 to 3.7% in 2014. And he also has a, a few warnings. Uh, they have raised China's growth to 7.5% from 7.3% seen back in October. Our guests this morning include Andrew Kosser from DZ Bank, Stuart Aldcroft at City Investor Services, and Andrew Sullivan from Maybank Kimeng Securities. Here's how markets are trading in the early going this morning. The Nikkei is down 57 points. That's a third of a percent lower at 15,738. In Australia, the the ASX 200 is down 14 points at 53.27, and uh, the Kospi is a little changed in Seoul, just one point down at 19.62. Currencies, the dollar is trading at 104.22 Japanese yen, so that's the uh, dollar a little weaker against the yen, the euro 1.3556 U.S. dollars. We look more closely now at the latest growth assessments from the IMF. The BBC's Andrew Walker reports. The IMF says the brakes on recovery are progressively being loosened. The financial system is slowly healing and there's a declining impact from government spending cuts and tax increases. Nonetheless, the IMF calls it a weak and uneven recovery. It also says there are risks, including the change in policy that will accompany recovery in the rich countries. In the US, the central bank has already started to curtail its stimulus policies and there's a danger that will disrupt financial markets in a way that harms emerging economies. The IMF says those countries will benefit from stronger growth in the rich world. It'll mean more opportunities to sell their goods. And the agency says that will probably outweigh any negative impact from the financial markets. Another risk is the possibility of deflation or falling prices in the eurozone, which could undermine the recovery there. Prices are still rising, but very slowly. The report also mentions risks in China's financial sector, where there are concerns about very high levels of investment that have been financed by borrowing. For all the caution and caveats, however, the IMF's assessment is a broadly positive one. So on balance, a fairly positive report from the IMF. But let's go back to Mr. Blanchard on why we should be a little cautious. One should not be too happy. It is still a weak and an uneven recovery. Among advanced economies, it is the stronger in the United States than in Europe is stronger in the euro core than in southern Europe. And in most advanced economies, unemployment remains uh, much too high. And in a breaking story this morning, uh, Mohammed El Arian has resigned as the chief executive officer of the big bond fund manager PIMCO. We get more from Bloomberg's Julie Hyman. 
Mohammed El Arian uh, resigning from his post as co-chief investment officer and CEO of PIMCO, the, of course, the operator of the world's largest bond fund. This news just coming out a little while ago. His uh, resignation effective in mid-March. It sounds like he may remain in some capacity at Allianz, which is the parent company of PIMCO, but that's not entirely clear. Uh, remember, he has been at this role for several years. Before that, he was running the endowment at Harvard University. Before that, he was at PIMCO. So sort of uh, his time at Harvard bookended by his time at PIMCO. Replacing him will be a gentleman named Douglas Hodge, who has actually been at PIMCO since 1989. Uh, most recently, he was serving as, as COO, Chief Operating Officer at PIMCO, so a veteran of the company, and he will be taking over as CEO. So again, that's Bloomberg's Julie Hyman. No reason given for a Mr. L. Arian's departure. Uh, and he did uh, say that he respected Bill Gross as one of the best investors in the world. And Bill Gross, uh, as you heard there in that report, uh, will take over the job as the, uh, the full uh, chief uh, investment officer for the big bond fund manager. IBM reported a seventh straight quarterly decline in sales. It might be hard to imagine, but the company is seeing plunging demand for server and IBM's top executives decided to forego annual bonuses. Revenue was down 5.5% to $27.7 billion U.S. dollars in the fourth quarter. That missed analyst projections of $28.3 billion, so a slight miss there. IBM did report profit of $6.13 a share. That was better than the $5.99 that analysts were looking for, but the shares were down as much as 3% in after-hours trading. And by the way, IBM was down 2.1% last year in 2013. It was the only loser in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Well, we say good morning to our first guest now, Andrew Sullivan, Director of Sales Trading at Maybank Kimeng Securities. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Ryan. How does this morning look uh, from your point of view? Um, we had a reasonable lead-in from Wall Street, although the Dow was uh, down a bit, but the broader S&P 500 was up, and yet I see all the Asian markets slightly lower. Yes, I mean, I think we're still in this uh, period, A, that people are watching very carefully for the, um, uh, the U.S. earnings as they come through, and we're, we're really waiting to see whether we see sales improve, not just the bottom line, but we want to see top lines improved. And so far, that hasn't really been clearly evident. So I think there's some caution there. And of course, today, we're waiting to see the Bank of Japan statement uh, and whether there's going to be more stimulus coming through. And some people are hoping that they might even give us an indication of how they intend to exit uh, at some point in the future. Has has conditions uh, or have conditions changed all that much since December 31st when everybody was still pretty rah-rah for markets? No, I don't think things have changed very much. But I think we, you know, certainly here in Hong Kong, a lot of companies are just coming into the earnings season. So there's a news blackout from then. So the news flow is quite low. Um, and at the same time, retail investors have been very much focused on the, the number of IPOs that we've had recently, uh, and a number of those have been quite successful. And obviously tomorrow we have Magnum, which is expected to do extremely well. Do you think that um, a lot of investors are shunning the Hang Seng uh, index constituent stocks in favor of some of these newer companies coming to market and um, you know, some of the other types of companies that you know, they're too small to be listed? Well, I think you're right there. I think the thing is that 
certainly if you look at the outlook for you know a number of the HSI constituents, you know the property sector and the financials, there's there's a very poor outlook there as you know interest rates are set to rise. We've already seen the developers, you know, they're pre-selling property as quickly as they can, which tends to indicate that they don't expect prices to go up. So there's not a lot of upside for investors there. Um, there is some protection on the, the dividend yield that these stocks provide, but there's no real growth, and, and that's what they're looking for, and hence the attention goes more, as you say, to the IPOs and some of the smaller cap companies. Yeah, sorry I said uh, too small to be listed, but of course they're listed, they're just not uh, in, the, um, in the indices. Uh, that's right. Uh, would you say overall you're still fairly positive on equities? Um, you wouldn't go back to government bonds. No, I think, I mean, and I think the thing here is the fact that people are are looking to rotate. I mean, last year we were talking about you know the consumer sector in in China, and as the Chinese economy moves that way, that was seen as being a good in, good area to be invested in. Now people are looking more at you know the distributors, the logistic companies, the people that actually you know deliver those goods from the the manufacturer to your door as being you know the, one of the key plays. And we've certainly seen companies like Sinotrans and Tencent with its investment in South China City. So it's, it's opening up new areas for investors to look at. Do you think that earnings will, you know, will sort of perk up this market? Well, I, I certainly think that if we saw, you know, sales increase, so the top line increasing, not just the bottom line, then investors would have a lot more confidence that, uh, yes, consumers were out there spending, uh, and that would give uh, CEOs the confidence to spend their capex and start growing their businesses again. Because until we really see that, you know, the market is going to be in a sort of lockstep move. Okay, we've got some uh, other guests lined up, Andrew, so I'll let you go early. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Andrew, Thank you. Andrew Sullivan there, who's uh, the Director of Sales Trading at Maybank Kim Eng Securities. Well, I wanted to go uh, first to this about the Pope, because Pope Francis has challenged the elite Davos crowd to do more to help the poor. In an address read by Cardinal Peter Turkson at Davos, the Pope said that it was intolerable that thousands die each day from hunger. He urged leaders to adopt a new political and business mentality. He said that they should put their skills to work for the benefit of those living in poverty. I ask you, he said, to ensure humanity is served by wealth and not ruled by it. Well, Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America Merrill Lynch, was asked why CEOs go to Davos. Well, I think, number one, we come to learn, because if you think about the range of topics that are talked about, the range of information you can gather from all the different participants, uh, you come to learn. And as CEOs, we always have to learn what's learning about what's going on in a particular country, what's going on in a particular industry. It's important. The other thing, it, it, and uniquely for banking, it's a chance for all the CEOs of all the institutions across the world to actually sit together in a room and with uh, policymakers and others and have a dialogue. And I think that dialogue has changed over the last four or five years I've been coming, but that's very important. And the third is obviously the clients and, and seeing our clients and seeing what's interesting to them. And, it, and it's a chance to convene and see a lot of people. He was asked, how do you feel knowing bankers are not exactly the most popular people in the room? That's the dichotomy of why we're here. Is, is I, I'd say that we're looking at we had a recovery in the banking industry, but we have a societal uh, obligation to drive. And so in the United States, where we engage in a full everything we do, um, our small business lending is up 20%, 25% year over year. Our mortgage lending was up until the refis drained off, but the purchase business is strong. Our credit cards are up. So we're trying to participate in the economy. But the economy has to grow through its fundamental ways, and the banks are there to help it. And so I think you have both those issues. We, the industries are covered, the capital levels, liquidity, still have work to do, all of us, every one of us has work to do. 
Well, the time is now 15 minutes after 8 o'clock, and we say good morning to Andrew Kossler, Chief Market Strategist, Capital Markets Asia for DZ Bank. Andrew, good morning. Good morning to you. So interest rates in the U.S. Uh, look like they uh, may eventually go higher, although it's kind of interesting that we've seen the uh, yield on the 10-year drop down into the low 280s uh, after being up around 3.03%. Can I ask you first about um, the movement that you see in interest rates in the United States? In the United States, in the course of the year as a whole, we expect the Fed funds rate, which is the benchmark rate that the Federal Reserve sets itself to be staying unchanged throughout the year. But as the U.S. economy picks up some strength, then there's a good case for yields, for example, of the 10-year bond to be going further higher. And by the end of the year, we think they'll be reaching 2.30% from their current uh, level, which is just over the 2.80. Why do you think we've seen um yields on the 10-year drop as much as they have over the past uh, 10 days or so when most of the projections were for, you know, rates to those kind of rates, uh, bond yields to go higher? Well, most forecasters are expecting bond yields to go higher over the course of the year. But uh, I think many investors or quite a few market players got a shock with the non-farm payrolls number at the start of the year, which Mm -hmm. came in well below forecasts. And perhaps some people thought maybe growth isn't quite as strong as we expected in the early part of the year, and that might slow the Fed's willingness to reduce its purchases of bonds in the market. So that's why yields came back down. What's kind of odd is that it's also happening in uh, in, in Europe. Uh, rates are dropping, you know, bond yields have dropped quite low in Europe compared to where we saw them, you know, back during the more crisis days. Um, What's happening with bond yields in Europe? Is it also people thinking that, um, you know, deflation is out there and maybe we should be concerned about it? Indeed, in Europe, there is a fear that low inflation will become an ingrained part of the economic scene. And that is one factor pulling yields lower. Some people are also expecting the ECB will lower rates later this year. They don't have much room for maneuver on that front, but it is a possibility, although we don't forecast it. And the other factor that has seen yields going lower in markets such as Ireland, Portugal, Spain, Italy, has been a restoration of confidence. More investors are expecting that the debt crisis in Europe has now been conquered and that therefore these markets are safe to invest in and they offer considerably more attractive returns than, for example, the ultra-safe German government bond market. So would you more or less agree with the outlook that the IMF just came out with for, you know, they, they basically say recovery is happening and you're going to see slightly better growth right across the world? I'd pretty much go along with the view that growth will be better this year than last and that things have improved overall, but there are still going to be some potential slip-ups on the way. Uh, commodity markets, oil market could uh, still see some volatility if the deal between the rest of the world and Iran were to come unhinged. And within Europe, there are some latent problems. For example, Greece, uh, one of the support mechanisms for Greece, the ECB's uh, outright monetary transactions construction still faces a legal challenge, which will only be decided in February. So there are still some risks around which make bonds, or particularly highly rated bonds, attractive to some investors. But overall, it sounds like uh, as a strategist, as a market strategist, uh, you would think that people should weather this little um, rise in risk aversion and uh, dip in, in stocks to stay with equities? Broadly speaking, I 
during the course of this year, given the better outlook for economic growth uh, and um, higher yields coming later on. I was listening to the Morgan Stanley strategist earlier this morning, uh, and and he was saying that, um, you know, the market in the United States will still move higher because um, earnings uh, will will be pretty solid and multiples can expand just a little bit more by multiples. If you're listening, uh, uh, we mean uh, the, the PEs, the, the actual uh, price level of the stock can go a bit higher because people are willing to pay a little bit more. Do you agree with that? Well, I'm not a professional equity analyst, but uh, I would say that, yes, if they can grow the top line, the revenue line of their business, then there's room for uh, for equity valuations in the States to go a little bit higher. But, but last year, the S&P 500 index had a very, very good performance, just under 30% uh, capital increase. And personally, I think the chances of that being repeated this year are very, very low indeed. Yeah, even, even, a very long way to go in one year. I think even they are only saying uh, maybe around 8, 9, 10%, something like that. Uh, well, if not the U.S., then uh, as a market strategist, um, what, what markets do you like the most right now? Well, uh, within uh, the markets that we look at, uh, Europe, the outer non-core parts of the Eurozone, for example, uh, Spain, Ireland, Italy, uh, are looking as if they still have room for capital growth potential as prices go up and spreads over Germany come down. So that's certainly an area that's worth looking at. And European uh, corporates and financial issuers are also offering some reasonably attractive levels at the moment. Okay. Uh, Andrew, thanks very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Thank That's you. Andrew Kosser, Chief Market Strategist, uh, the Capital Markets Asia part of DZ Bank. Well, the mainland computer maker Lenovo is said to have resumed talks, which collapsed last year, to buy a server unit of IBM. RTHK's Timmy Song reports. The two companies failed to reach a deal last year after differing on pricing, with media reports then putting IBM's hope at between $4 billion to $6 billion US dollars for the low-end server unit while Nanovo was said to be willing to offer only $2.5 billion. In a statement, Nanovo said it was in preliminary talks about an acquisition. It didn't name the seller, but said it was responding to reports about its potential buyout of a server business. It added that it had not entered into any definitive agreement and that no material terms had been agreed to. Some analysts say the deal would make sense for both companies, giving Nanovo a new source of growth and allowing IBM to focus on software and services development. If- Shares of Lenovo surged as much as 4.5% during Hong Kong trading before closing 3% higher uh, at $10.46. The shares have moved up 11% so far this month. We welcome now Stuart Aldcroft, Senior Advisor at City Investor Services, to the program. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Brian. Okay, so both of the previous guests said that an important key would be revenues. And if we don't see a pickup in revenues, then some of the gains that we've seen in equity markets won't continue. Um, Where are you on that argument? Uh, yes and no. I agree with it, but I also disagree with it. Um, I think the markets are continuing the um, great improvement, the great increase in confidence that investors have, uh, the recovery process from pretty low levels of two years ago, and the consequence of that will probably be an overshooting at the top end uh, at some point in the next 12 to 18 months. 
So you you don't think we're there yet, but at some point uh, over the next year, you would you would turn cautious. And what will be the key to making that decision? Um, yeah, I don't know when I'll t- change to being cautious, to be honest. I think it's still a long way to go. Um, and there is no key except that clearly, uh, you know, if, if you have outbreak of other problems that exist around the world, you know, the geopolitical problems or, 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 or whatever, then, of course, that's always going to have an impact. Uh, and, and these sorts of surprises you just can't account for. People are always them. fighting yesterday's wars. Uh, that, that's a fact. And, yeah. you know, people still... They just don't accept the gains that we've seen, particularly in in U.S. and and some European equity markets, because you know we're still in crisis mode. That that kind of thinking. Yeah, people don't feel good about what they've got. You know, if you look at the last two years, if you've been invested in the U.S. or in Europe, even you'd have made over fifty percent. Um, how bad is that? And and yet people don't feel very good about it. And 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 that's one of the psychological issues about investing money. And do you think that it's time uh, that the focus of investors on equities maybe adjusts a little, shifts a little away from the U.S. and markets like Germany. I mean, Germany's well up over 9,000. And, uh, you know, it was back in the... Uh in the 5,000 range back, you know, just a couple of years ago. Sure. Um, Germany is okay. UK is looking brilliant right now. And I, I suspect that people might go quite heavily into, if, if they were thinking logically, they might go quite heavily into the UK. It has the benefit of both an, an independent currency and uh, greatly improved economics, far better than most of the rest of Europe. So I, I th- there are good opportunities out there. And, and, and you know, one other market that, uh, you know, I know you want to talk about is is Japan, yes. which is continuing to do well and, and has got in place or is putting in place a lot of structures just to help that market continue the, the good gains of last year. Yes, actually seeing a little bit of inflation, which is a long time coming in Japan. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's a, it's a market that a lot of people, you know, you hear a lot of people like. The Nikkei is at 15,755, and we're getting some, you know, more information today. Um, oh, are you expecting? that the story in Japan you know, continues over the next couple of years and that we do see the structural reform that they're talking about? I think what we've seen an end of, first of all, is the long period of no growth, no change, and, 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 and a boring uh, market. I think we're going to start to see a lot more excitement. There is a lot more structure in the market. Uh, the big return of last year with the fall of the currency has helped to boost the, um, the, the company's revenues. So there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a good chance that we can continue to see <coughs> Japan outperform many of the other countries that people will invest money in. Will it still be the exporters or will it be more of a domestic story? Oh, exporters are the dominant uh, player in, in, in the market, but uh, there's no reason why uh, they should take the lead because the domestic economy is also improving too. So I think it's going to be pretty much even between the two. Let me just mention the transport department uh, has, has given me uh, some uh, advisories here that uh, the MTR Corporation... Uh, has uh, an equipment problem, an overhead line equipment problem near Hong Tin Road and Castle Peak Road, and light rail service has been disrupted. So light rail service will not call at Hang Mei Chun, 
Tong Fang Chun, Ping Shan, Shui Pin Wai, Fong Nin Road, and Hong Lok Road. So uh, be, be uh, advised of that, that the MTR is having problems uh, uh, near Hong Tin Road and Castle Peak Road. And also, um, in terms of the buses, uh, KMB, City Bus, New World Bus, uh, they will uh, monitor passenger demand and may strengthen bus services as necessary. So it's another um, pesky problem here from the MTR, this one uh, being an overhead line equipment problem near Hong Tin Road and Castle Peak Road. So the light rail service has been disrupted. Back to uh, markets now, and we have uh, Stuart Aldcroft, Senior Advisor at City Investor Services. Uh, currencies, uh, have you been thinking much about, uh, uh, like, when you look at the New Zealand dollar, it's amazingly strong, and yet we've seen a big drop in the Australian dollar and the Canadian dollar. Those uh, commodity currencies have suffered while the Kiwi has done really well. You like the Kiwi? Um, I have no opinion on the Kiwi, to be honest, but um, obviously the Canadian and the Australian dollars have come back from really high levels because they were very much seen as a sort of commodity play as well. And with the commodity markets coming off their peaks, less traction, uh, it's inevitable that those two currencies will fall. Kiwi, um, maybe that's becoming uh, more popular simply because it's got slightly higher yields and um, uh, hasn't and has got a fair ben- benefit of tourist traffic going in that market but it's a very small currency relative to the others. What about Hong Kong and China? There's been so much about the debt levels in China and we have underperformed for so long. Does that change anytime soon? I think that's the big hope, isn't it? That uh, China is coming off a, a, a period where the markets have performed really very poorly relative to the rest of the world. And uh, yet there are things that are going on um, that would suggest that there should be a b- big pickup. Now, of course, what's performed really badly in China have been the major indices. But if you look at some of the smaller company indices, some of the regional indices, some of the sort of, uh, if you like, marginal areas of China, there's been some tremendous performance, some fantastic returns. These are not necessarily accessible by individual investors at this point, but uh, as, as we see a fair opening up of the market, then there will be more opportunity to get into that part of the, the, the market in China. In the past, we've often had analysts advising uh, investors to be careful about IPOs, but it almost seems like now that the companies uh, coming to market are much preferred to the old smokestack uh, SOE and then more, more attention is going to these IPOs. It's been a long time coming, but would you urge people to take a look at some of these? Uh... I've never been a great fan of IPOs, but having said that, clearly if the companies have been analyzed correctly and are priced fairly instead of inflated, then, then that must be quite a good um, reason to have a look at them. But, but caution should be the watchword always because you know, one of the reasons that companies go for an IPO is very often because they can uh, max out on their value. And, and that's often when it's too late to be buying. Do you think in any way that some of the underperformance that we've seen in the Hong Kong market has to do with um, policy, that uh, some investors are just a little nervous about this particular chief executive and financial secretary? Um, we're too pragmatic in this market to think like that. Okay. Um, yes, I think there is, there is that as a, as a background issue. But a, a lot of the underperformance in the market is probably because more than 50% of it is now China stock. 
and, and therefore it's the China companies that are, are, are lagging, as we know from the Shanghai index, and it's holding back the Hang Seng index. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it on that uh, note because we've reached the end of the program. Uh, Stuart, thanks very much. You're welcome, Brad. Stuart Aldcroft, Senior Advisor at City Investor Services. We'll sneak this in quickly and then come back and wrap things up. The government has launched the Childhood Vaccination Subsidy Scheme for the 13-valent pneumococcal conjugate vaccine booster vaccination. From now until the 30th of June 2014, eligible children aged 2 to under 5 years old who have never received this vaccine can go to enroll private clinics for one subsidised dose. For details, please call the Department of Health hotline on 2125-2125. Markets have moved a little bit lower. The Nikkei is down 40 points. Australian Seoul also down as well. Weather today, uh, expecting fine and very dry. Cool in the morning, maximum temperature 16 degrees. And then mainly fine and dry tomorrow. The news with Samantha Butler. A Syrian opposition delegate arriving in Switzerland for a peace conference today has called for President Assad and his government to stand trial at the International Criminal Court in light of newly released photographic evidence. It suggested the government starved, tortured and killed about 11,000 prisoners. Bara Jamus is the Secretary General of the Opposition Syrian National Coalition. We hope that the people of Syria, inside Syria, have great confidence in us. We are here to achieve the aspirations of the Syrian people and the objectives of the Syrian revolution. We will not accept less than the removal of the criminal Bashar al-Assad and changing the regime and holding the 